Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Have your Bibles turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 tonight. I want to welcome our online audience. Thanks for tuning in. You watch on Facebook Live. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you for being here tonight. We'll reiterate what Manny said. It's nice and cool in here than it was outside. Whew. That humidity is... I forgot what humidity was until today. Wow. That is brutal. Well, I want to do my... Uh, I've been doing a series on transition, and I want to do that. I want to continue that night. This will be part three. This is called When Identity Meets Transition. We're going to talk about who we are in Christ. Amen. I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, when the, Lord, when the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. The first thing that I want to establish here tonight, before we get into this text, is understand this, God is intentional. Every time that God does something, He does it with intentionality. And, and what I mean by that is God's action are never an end unto themselves, they're always a means to an end. So whenever God does anything, that means God's up to something. And because he's intentional, whenever he does nothing, God does nothing intentionally. So when he answers your prayers, God's up to something, amen? And when he doesn't answer your prayers, he's up to something then too. When he opens that door, he's up to something. When doors close, God's up to something. When the answer is yes, thank you, Lord, he's up to something. But when it's no, he's still up to something. When people come into your life, God's doing something. When people walk out of your life, God's doing something. Don't hang on to those that, are, that can walk away from you. Hear that, church. God does everything with purpose. God does everything on purpose. So when we look at God dealing with humanity here, throughout the Old and the New Testament, we need to see his dealings as intentional actions from an internal God, amen? Throughout Scripture, God is dealing with us about living with an understanding of who we are, living with an understanding of our identity. You know, and it's, it's interesting because if God knows everything and forgets nothing, then why does he keep repeating himself in Scripture? He repeats himself not because he needs to hear it over and over again, but we need to constantly and consistently hear his perspective on who we are. That's why that happens. See, people have opinion about who you are. And most people's opinions are based on partial information about you. And not only do people have an opinion about you, you have an opinion about you. And throughout Scripture, God consistently, 
communicates his view because of a truth captured in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. I want us to look there. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We'll stop right there. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is, we, is he. Now right here we see God's intention of communicating to you and I and who we are. Solomon right here captures in Proverbs this truth. I'm going by who I think I am. Notice he didn't say, as a man thinks in his head. Or he didn't say, as a man speaks out of his mouth. He said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you think about yourself and your heart becomes the catalyst to your everyday activity and how you act. See, I can, you can't change someone's activity until you first adjust the understanding of, understanding of their identity. Okay, watch this. You can change my behavior for a season. But if I haven't adjusted the understanding of who I am or my identity, I will fall back into my same repetitive dysfunctional cycles because I haven't changed who I am. But if I shift my understanding of who I am, my life will ultimately follow suit. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why God continually explains to us that we're loved. We're the head, we're not the tail. We're above, we're not beneath. We're lenders, we're not borrowers. We're the apple of his eye. We're salt, we're light. We're chosen. We are what? A royal priesthood. God does that because why? He sees something that we're not seeing. Because if you don't sit where he sits and you don't see what he sees, because where you sit determines what you see. God sees things that we sees things that we don't see. God sees from one vantage point, and we see ourselves from a whole another for a whole other vantage point. So with that, here's what I've learned. Oftentimes people resist this teaching as if it's irrelevant because they assume if I'm not thinking low of myself, then I'm thinking right. Hear that. Just because I'm not thinking low about myself doesn't mean I'm thinking right about myself. There's a gap between what the believer thinks about themselves and what God thinks about them. Here's what you got to remember. Write this down if you're taking notes. Activity is the expression of one's understanding of their identity. In other words, what they're doing, their action, is an expression of who they think they are, of their identity. So if I want to know what you're thinking about yourself, all I got to do is watch what you do. Watch your activity. I can look at my prayer life in the past and it reveals how I see myself. Because, watch this, I call myself a son of God, but I pray like a beggar. If you're a child of God and you say you're a child of God, then why are you praying like a beggar? Well, what do you mean, Pastor Craig? God, please let me have enough money to pay my bills. God, please protect my children. God, please let me get home safe. There's a gap between the way you feel about you and the way God feels about you. Don't you think God wants you to get home safe? Don't you think God wants you to have your bills paid? 
I can say I'm forgiven, but my activity says I don't see myself forgiven. You can say you're forgiven, but yet live and feel like you're not. The writer of Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of God. Why? That you may obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. And a lot of times the church has a problem with that. Come boldly before the throne of God. Well, I, you know, I want to be respectful. I, I understand that. But the word says come boldly. Here's what we've got to understand. The sufficiency of the cross is the payment for my sin. For your sin. God is completely satisfied with the adequacy of Jesus' sacrifice. When God sees the blood, he sees it complete. He sees it paid in full. When he sees the cross, he sees it as enough. There is nothing else that is needed, church, to satisfy God's wrath towards humanity. It has been completely paid for by Jesus. Once you get a revelation of that, then you can go boldly before the throne and carry the right name with you. You go in Jesus' name. Why? Because you understand now your identity. He's in me, but watch this. I'm also in him. He's in me, but I'm also in him. You see this Bible right here? You can see this Bible. But watch this. In this Bible, I have a piece of paper. Now, I'm carrying, I can carry that Bible all around the stage. You don't see the paper. What do you see? You see what the paper's in. You see the Bible. Christ is in me, and I am in him. So when I go before the throne of grace, God doesn't just see me. God sees Jesus in me. You get that? God answers my prayer not because of who I am, but because of who's in me. We can say we're the apple of his eye, but still be plagued with worry. Every biblical commandment is predicated on you accurately understanding who you are. Matthew 6 says what? Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink. See, but that's not possible, church, until the perception of who you are changes. A lot of times we think we need bigger faith to reach those obstacles and to tackle those obstacles. We need bigger faith not to worry, but the Bible teaches mustard seed faith what? Moves mountains. Mountains. So the problem isn't faith. The problem is the perception of our faith. Because we call ourselves children of God, but we act like we're a creature, you know, just like a creature of a creator. But we're children of God. How many of you have kiddos? Let me see your hand. You have kiddos. Now, how many of your children have to worry about what they have to eat? How many of your children have to worry about what they're going to wear? How many of your children have to worry about, you know, there's going to be a roof over their head tonight? Why? They don't. Why? Because you got that. You got that covered. Watch this. God is looking at you like you look at your children saying, I've got that under control. See, we can say we're a royal priesthood and we can receive the priesthood part and reject the royalty part. A lot of believers do that. 
And because we don't have the revelation of royalty, we won't raise royalty. Therefore, we don't create a culture in our homes where our children have an understanding of their identity. And so as a result, church, I've seen this happen. I've spoken in tens of thousands of schools across America. As a result, our daughters will start exchanging their virtue for attention. Their virtue for acceptance. Watch this. Write this down. This is a good, good quote. Nobody settles that doesn't believe they have to. Nobody. To settle knowing that you don't have to doesn't make sense. But the fact that so many people do is a revelation of an identity problem between what God thinks about you and what you think about you. So we need to start thinking about us the way God thinks about us. Amen? We've got to see what God thinks about us so we can act like that. So we can act like, you know, what God thinks about us and not what we think about ourselves. Right identity equals right transition. You can't have proper transition if you don't know who you are. Activity flows out of identity. Now you can find this in the beginning of the Bible. Right here what I'm talking about. Eve is in the garden. Easy illustration. She eats the fruit. Why does she eat the fruit? Because the enemy told her you'll be like God if you eat the fruit, right? So she eats the fruit so she can be like God. But in Genesis 1.26, she was already made in his image and his likeness. So watch this. When I don't know who I am, I'll engage in activity and do things and try to become something that I already am. I'll do things to feel loved when I'm already loved. I'll do things to try to get value because I don't know I'm already valued. I'll do things so I can feel significant because I don't know that I already am significant. Here's the thing. Our culture has been engaging in practices to transform their behavior while ignoring the biblical blueprint for life change. That's a mouthful, but I'm going to say it again. Our culture has been engaging in practices to transform their behavior while ignoring the biblical blueprint for life change. It doesn't start with behavior. It starts with the heart. Write that down. It doesn't start with how I act. It starts with my heart. So when I kick a habit or change my behavior... It only lasts periodically because at some point, at some point, I'm going to behave out of my instinct. And if that instinct doesn't change, when my willpower wears down, and it will, then the old me shows back up. I'm not helping anybody tonight besides myself. I'm getting all this from Jeremiah. All this. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we read a critical conversation. The text captures an important dialogue about transition. God's talking to Jeremiah about who he was born to be. He's talking to a man that God has designed for, for prophetic ministry. God's designed him that way. Watch this. Jeremiah, though, he's confused because God wants him to be a prophet, but yet God's talking to him about when he was born. 
Look at it. Verse 4 and 5, Jeremiah, go back to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to a prophet to the nations. Notice he knew him before he even formed him. He said, when your mom and dad started winking at each other, I saw you. Listen, you may sit here tonight or watching online and your mom and dad didn't have plan, didn't plan on having you, but God saw you. You may have been told your whole life you were an accident, but God says, I'm intentional. Everything God does, he's intentional. God saw you even if the circumstance that produced you were sinful. My goodness. Because why? God takes what the enemy meant for evil, puts his hand on it, and redeems it for good. God saw you. Now here's what I want you to see. He said, before I formed you, I saw you. Here's what that means. Write this down. God gave you personality. God gave you ability. God gave you talents. God put everything in you for you to do what he designed you to do. And some of you are doing that today, right now. In your jobs. In retirement. You're doing what God has designed for you to do. Before God formed Jeremiah, he saw a prophet in him. Slash transition. He had a prophetic ministry before he had a body. Transition. When Jeremiah arrived, God never saw a baby. He saw a prophet. Transition. Even when Jeremiah went through his bad season, God saw a prophet. We've all had our bad seasons, have we not? Some of you may be in a bad season right now, but God sees you for what he made you for. Somebody needs to hear that. Don't stop in this chaotic season you're in. Transition is about to be manifested in your life. God didn't see an addict. He saw a prophet. God didn't see a lustful man or woman. He saw a prophet. God didn't see a deceitful man or a liar. He saw a prophet. God didn't didn't see an insecure, weak man. He saw a prophet. What Jeremiah did didn't change what God saw. No matter what you have done, God has not changed his mind about how he created you. And I'm here to tell you, church, that what you've done hasn't changed what God saw when God formed you. Let me, let me just go, let me go out a little further and say this. God wants to reintroduce you to what he made you for to what he designed you for, to what he intended you for, your purpose and your destiny. And a lot of churches today are trying to teach people who they are. Hear this. When God's trying to introduce them to who they were born to be. See, we assume that because who I think I am is dysfunctional, It must be my destiny. But just because it's not dysfunctional 
doesn't mean it's not destiny. Let me give you an example of that. I know that sounds a little weird, but let me give you an example of that. When I went to college for a whole semester, it's not that funny, Michelle. When I went to college for a whole semester, I went to college with intentionality to graduate. Didn't happen, but that's where I was going. Then let me tell you why I went to college. I cut hair down here. My dad got out of the hair business, and I took over the shop, and I was cutting hair, and I had a customer. And he made a lot of money. He did very, very well, very financially secure. And we got to talking one day, and he was a pharmaceutical rep, salesman, and he was the, over so many districts. He said, Craig, he said, man, with your personality, he said, you could do really good in the pharmaceutical sales. I said, you think so? He goes, yeah. I was like 19, 20 years old. He said, oh, yeah, you could do really, really good. He said, all you got to do for our company to hire you is have a degree. He said, I don't care if it's basket weaving, whatever. Just get a degree. Our company has to have a degree before they'll hire anybody. So that's why I went to college. Now, I could have went to pharmaceutical sales instead of being a pastor. That's not dysfunctional. I'd still be going to heaven, doing fine. Be doing a little bit better financially than I am now, I'm sure. sure. That's not dysfunctional, but what it is, here's what it is. It wasn't my destiny. See, I was born to be doing this right here, doing what I'm doing right now. God interrupted Jeremiah's life and said, I don't know what you have planned, but let me tell you what you were born for. And I believe that's what God is speaking to the church today as a whole. I don't know what you guys have planned, but let me tell you what you're born for. Look at Jeremiah's response. Verse 6 of Jeremiah 1, go back to it. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Here's the transition. God said, I formed you to be a prophet. Now watch this. Let's say Jeremiah saved, and he was. He saved, but still doesn't see himself right. Okay? God says to Jeremiah, what's up, prophet? Jeremiah says, no, not me. Got the wrong guy. Jeremiah says, you got that wrong. I don't do that, God. I don't speak well. You find this throughout Scripture. Men of God making excuses. Gideon was called to lead Israel in a military expedition and overcome the Midianites. But Gideon didn't start off off being a military leader. He started off as a skinny little man scared to death in a wine press full of fear. That's where he started. And the angel comes to him and says, you're a mighty man of valor. Gideon was doing just the exact opposite of what God called him to do. He's acting scared and God calls him a man of valor. Moses, another great example. No, Lord, this can't be me. I can't speak, I stutter, I can't speak well. Are you seeing the gap between how God sees them and how they see themselves? Can you relate to that a little bit? Because I can. So here's the thing. Somebody's lying. Somebody here's lying. Either God or man. I don't figure I have to tell you which one, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. 
as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Listen, church, somebody's lying about your potential. Somebody's lying about your destiny, your future, your calling, your joy. Somebody's lying and you're buying the bill of goods. You're trapped in a case of mistaken identity. And God sends the truth to set you free because the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Make you free. Jeremiah's like, I can't speak. I'm just a kid. Look at what God says. Look at verse 7 again. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth, for you should go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now notice this. God doesn't deny his youthfulness. Michael, he didn't, he didn't say no. You're, you're, he didn't deny that. Jeremiah said, I'm young. God probably said, you're right, you're right, you kid. Well, I'm wretched. Yeah, maybe you are. Lord, I messed up. Yeah, you're right. Lord, I'm shy. Okay. But watch what he says. Don't speak it. What did dad talk about there? Pastor talk about, I call him dad. What did he talk about the other day? Won't you speak? You have. God said, don't say I'm too young. Church, quit talking about who you used to be. Who you used to be. There's a gentleman in this church, and I won't call his name, because I wouldn't want, I embarrass him in any way. But he was, uh, he was in special forces way back when, Vietnam. And you will never, ever catch him talking about what he used to do. I mean, he accolades out of the wazoo, but he won't talk about it. Don't say I'm too young. Quit talking about who you used to be. God's not interrupting your life, church, to remind you of who you used to be. He's trying to introduce you to who you were born to be. See, reminding yourself of who you were has no redemptive value. My goodness, write that down. It has no redemptive value reminding you of who you were. God was telling Jeremiah, if talking about your youthfulness had any value, I'd let you talk about it. If God would have let Jeremiah use his youthfulness as an excuse, he would have used it. Here's what happens when you use excuses. You create limitations in your life. And God won't go past the limitation you create. What you speak, God won't overrule. The Bible talks about this tongue being a rudder. Come on. Because your excuse would be enough to keep you from becoming what God has called you to become. God's not going to let you use something you, that will limit you that doesn't, have, that doesn't have to limit you. Does that make sense? So in other words, watch this. Stop telling me where you come from. Stop telling me who wasn't there in your life. Stop telling me you don't have any support. Stop telling me they didn't love you right. God didn't mind Jeremiah talking about it. He just didn't like the way he was talking about it. That make sense? See, if you're, here's the thing. If you're talking about it to move forward, 
God will let you talk about it. But if you're talking about it to stay stuck and where you're at, God's like, not on my watch. God's like, don't speak that limitation over yourself. He said in verse 7, you should go where I send you and say, and what I, and say what I command you. In verse 8, it's a declaration after the diagnosis. Watch this. Verse 8, it says, do not be afraid of their faces. Now, what? Verse 8, do not be afraid of their faces. Jeremiah didn't say anything about being afraid. What did he say? I'm young. I'm a kid. But God makes a declaration after diagnosis. He said, you're saying you're young, but really you're scared. You're saying people aren't right, aren't right, but you're really saying you're scared. You say you're not getting any support, but really you're scared. So God diagnoses what's really going on and makes a statement that speaks to the issue, not the excuse that you're putting in front of him. Well, that just really excited the crowd, I can tell. See, that's a question that we have to ask ourselves today, church. What is it that you're scared of? What's causing you not to step into your purpose? See, people will let you get away with verse 7, but God won't. God's going to give you a verse 8. You're going to say, I'm too old, and people are going to say, you're right. You're going to say, I'm too young, and people are going to say, you're right. But God says, no, we're going to go to verse 8. Don't be afraid. Let me tell you why you shouldn't be afraid. Write this down. This is important. Here's why I should not be afraid. In your notes, here's why I should not be afraid. Because God is with me. That's simple. God is with and everything you do, God is with you. Now think about this, church. Jeremiah hasn't prophesied a word yet. Because why? He doesn't have enough confidence to go forward. So God says, okay, you don't have enough confidence. I'm going to let you have some of mine. God is saying, Jeremiah, you don't believe in you, so Jeremiah, believe in me. That's what some of us need to do. Because we don't believe in ourselves enough. So believe in God, believe in the God that's in you, amen? We've got to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in Him. Because in ourselves, we will always feel inadequate. Always. What does Jeremiah do? He takes a step where most of us stay stuck. In order for a transition, there needs to be a bridge. Faith, 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 and faith is the bridge. Faith is the bridge that you walk on to transition you to where you're supposed to be. You walk by sight, by faith, not by sight. When Peter, watch this. When Peter, I said this before, but this repeats what I'm saying again. When Peter walked on water, he didn't really walk on water. Think about this. What did he walk on? He walked on the Word. The Word that Jesus said to Peter when he asked to come to Jesus, was one word. And that word that Jesus spoke was, come. He didn't walk on water, he walked on the word. He didn't step out with faith to walk on water, he stepped out with faith to walk on the word Jesus spoke, come. Whew, that's right, word spoken. 
Jeremiah believed what God said about him more than he believed his own behavior. God, cared, God called Jeremiah a prophet when Jeremiah had never prophesied anything before. Anything. So if Jeremiah would have just, you know, went on his behavior, he never would have crossed the bridge to his prophetic ministry. See, we think God calls us what we are when we're not. But God calls you what you are when you're not there yet. God looked at an unpredictable, unbridled, irresponsible man named Peter and said what? You are a rock. There's nothing about Peter, folks, that was reliable and steady like a rock. But the only way about... the There's, only, there's nothing about Peter... That was rival that nothing, nothing. But the only way that the rock could come out is if Jesus called it out. There are some things that are in you that cannot come out until Jesus calls it out. And he's calling you out of where you are and into who you're supposed to be. Think about this. Jeremiah didn't know that prophecy was in him until he believed it, and then prophecy came. The reason God had to talk to Jeremiah about what he put in him before he was born was because Jeremiah thought, because he hadn't used it, he didn't have it. There's something inside of you that you have yet to discover, church, that is beyond what you can ask or think. There are things inside each and every one of you that would blow your mind. And it's time that we discover what's inside of us. It's time that we figure out what God has placed in us. I need you to be the best you for me. I need to be the best me for you. As long as I'm not being the best me for you, then you're not getting the best out of me. And vice versa. Don't ask me to say that again. Couldn't do it. One even in my notes. And here's the way we do it. If we step on the bridge of faith like Jeremiah and transition into all God's place within us, that's when we'll see destiny and purpose arrived in our life. But until then, we will struggle. We'll stay dysfunctional. We'll look back on what we are and what we have been and not what we could be not who we are in Christ Jesus. There's so much more that God has for you and for us as a ministry, as a church, that we have not even began to tap into yet. And I don't care if you're 90 years of age here. I mean, I I say I don't care. It doesn't matter if you're 90 years of age or you're nine months. God has a purpose. I need, the church needs, we all need that purpose to be discovered and for you to walk in it so we all can be fulfilled. See, you fulfilling your ministry is not just for you. It's for everybody around you. What is ministry? Ministry is for other people. Ministry is not just for me. Ministry is for you. It's for other people. It's to serve. And I believe this, that God is setting us up to serve in some areas that we have yet to discover yet. And when we do discover it, and when we do step into it, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. 
It's going to be good. We're, we're celebrating our, what, 41st year ministry in July? 41 years. And we've seen a lot of things happen in 41 years. A lot of things happen. Five locations. I mean, church has grown. Things have happened. It's been awesome. Things have come against the church, you know. Anytime, anytime something's happening good, the enemy always tries to destroy. You know what I mean? Anytime there's smooth sailing, that means I'm not a, we're not a threat to the, to the kingdom of hell. Anytime you're not having problems in your life, you're not a threat to hell. That's the way I look at that. Because sometimes I have more problems than I think I deserve. Don't we all sometimes? But that must be, I'm a pretty big, I mean, I'm a pretty big threat to hell if I'm having all these problems. Because Satan wouldn't try, to be, wouldn't try to stop me. Wouldn't, Satan wouldn't try to stop you if you weren't having all these problems or these situations. So just keep doing what you're doing. Let destiny begin to arise. Let destiny begin, and let purpose come forth. Don't give excuses. I'm but a youth. I'm this, I'm that, but God, I can't, but God. Don't be a but yeah, but yeah, but yeah. I, that's, that's why I wasn't here Sunday. I was in a, a, a basketball camp, and I got to be a staff member when I was teaching referees how to referee and how to, you know, to, to just hone their craft, make them better. And I, and I ran into a yeah butter. You know what a yeah butter is? This gentleman was, yeah, this gentleman was doing some things that I was trying to help him with. And, and refereeing basketball is a game of angles. And I said, you've got to be in the right position. I said, if you're back here, you can't see that player. But if you'll come right here, take two steps down, you can see everything right here. He goes, yeah, but. Yeah, but let me tell you why I'm there. Okay. And then he gave me his excuse. I said, okay. So we went up to a few other things. I said, told him, I said, brother, I won't call his name. I said, brother, if, if, you, would, if you would just, if you would just if you, hustle a little bit more, put a little more hustle in your game. I said, don't you get tired of people yelling at you? I do. I do. I said, you know why they're yelling at you? He goes, why? I said, because you're not positioned to make the call. You can't make that call 30 feet back here when it's happened up there. Get a hustle and get there. Yeah, but... Finally, I looked at him. I said, you know what you are? And I was very nice about it. I said, I said you're a yeah butter. He said, what do you mean? I said, every time I try to help you, I said, this reason I'm here, I'm, just, I'm not getting paid to be here. I'm missing my church service to be here. And I'm doing this to help you and help all these guys. And I said, every time I try to help you, you yeah butt me. He goes, well, I don't mean that, but... I promise you, you can't make this stuff up. I don't mean to, but I said, there I'm. I looked at him and I said, brother, good luck. And I don't even believe in luck. But I told him, I said, good luck. And I walked away. I just walked away from him. He said, Craig, I said, no, no, no. I said, I can't say anything to you because you're a yeah butter. That's what I called him. I said, I smiled. I said, I love you. You're a great guy. You're just a yeah butter. And you're not going to get any better. And guess what? That band's been coming to that camp for years and has never got beyond a regional game. Years. He's in his 60s. Never got beyond a regional game. Because you get picked to go to districts, regional, area, and the state. And I finally got to go to do my first state games this year. And 
If you're not teachable, you'll always be a yeah butter. Always, always be teachable. I don't care how long I do this as far as minister, I mean, as far as refereeing goes, I'm always teachable. I can always learn. I can always get better. It's the same way as being a Christian. I can always learn. I can always get better. Don't be a yeah butter. That's why I should name this sermon. Yeah butter. <laughs> I hope you guys got something out of that tonight.